Before Craigslist closed its personal section, browsing the Canberra version was one of my regular podcasting pastimes. Each excursion would educate me on some facet of human desire and sexuality. I was introduced to new terms like dogging and learned that pineapple can be a dirty word. In March this year, one post jumped out at me. It was unusual and hinted at a deeper sadness. It was titled, Ugly Female Seeking Handsome Male. Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. Okay, so if you had to introduce yourself, Olivia, how might you do that? Uh, Hi, my name is Olivia. I'm 51 years old. I live in Canberra. I've been medically retired for several years. I have two grown-up children. <laughs> I don't know. Is, that, is there something I don't, I don't know, darling? What else should yeah. I say? No, that's good. That's uh, good. It's pretty clear that Olivia is a warm and articulate person. As for what you're all wondering about, but what is she like on the outside? And I get it. When someone describes themselves as ugly... That creates particular expectations. So just what does a self-described ugly female look like? When she opened her front door to me, whatever expectations I might have had, she was not it. Which begs the question, why did she call herself that? Well, we'll get into it. At the point of recording, it had been a few weeks since Olivia and I last saw one another. I'd rescheduled today's chat by a week due to a bad cold, but it turned out that she'd been through much worse. As I sat on her couch, Olivia stood in front of me and parted her waistband and the bottom of her blouse to reveal a fresh scar across her lower abdomen, about the length of my hand. Two weeks earlier, she'd had emergency surgery, and I won't go into what happened. But suffice it to say, Olivia is no stranger to hospitals or to going under the knife. She grew up in northern Queensland with her parents, two brothers and a sister. From childhood, she began to accumulate the hospital visits. When I was very young, maybe about eight, uh, I had to have my jaw wired up because I fell off a push bike and broke my jaw. I had a burst appendix at about the age of 10. And then when I was 15, I had another bike accident and broke my ankle, so I had surgery for that. And then when I was 16, they found a tumour, benign tumour, on my adrenal gland. So I did actually spend my 16th birthday in hospital having the adrenal gland removed with the tumour. It was another 20 years before Olivia underwent surgery again, this time to address her obesity. She'd been obese from an early age. At age 10, she weighed 100 kilos and was able to fit into her mother's size 16 clothes. By 19, she was 150 kilos. And to compound matters, neither her siblings, parents or other family members were overweight. I didn't feel like I belonged with the other kids and I felt very self-conscious with my siblings. And with mum and dad, who obviously just wanted to do the right thing by me, but they insisted on continuing to find a reason for me being overweight. So my memories of childhood, apart from 
lots of medical issues was being taken to lots of medical professionals and specialists and even the alternative type medicines. They were always wanting to find an answer and a reason and because, uh, you know, it was the right thing for them to do because it's not very pleasant growing up being overweight. But that's what they did and that's pretty much what I remember. How did your siblings treat you? I think they tried to treat me just normally, but I'm not sure that, that they could because it was pretty obvious that I was overweight and I got a lot of teasing at school and I didn't have a lot of friends and I certainly didn't go through the normal childhood things like, you know, wearing your swimmers down to the pool or out to the beach or, you know, boyfriends as you get older and um, I just, I completely missed out on that. That just didn't happen because I was overweight. And then you later on went on to get lap band surgery to correct that? Yeah, not until I was 36, after I'd had my two children and spent a lifetime being, you know, at a, a morbidly obese weight. I, ha I had to do something about it for my health, for a start, but also for my self-esteem and my self-confidence and my own, my, my own path through life. Uh, I needed to do something different to, and to lose the weight. And, that, and it was successful. Um, I did lose 50 kilos and I, I got down to a size 16, which, which I thought was pretty good because that, that's pretty a normal size. It's not, certainly not morbidly obese. After I'd lost a lot of weight, I had corrective surgery because I had a lot of loose skin. So I had a, a tummy tuck. Um, I had a lot of skin removed from my knees, hips, um, around the back as well and that was actually really helpful in terms of feeling better about myself because if I had lost all that weight and would have still had all that skin I just don't think that that really would have done anything for the way that I felt about my body. It's been just one thing after another for Olivia because next up she had to get her legs surgically realigned as her knees were causing her pain. And in the middle of all of that, I was diagnosed with a very large brain tumour, benign. I had lost a lot of sight in one eye and hadn't realised. And I was speaking in one syllable words and didn't particularly realise I was doing that either. Um, my children just thought that I was really tired so eventually somebody realised that there was something wrong, sent me for a brain scan and it was pretty big, about the size of a small mandarin. So I was rushed in for surgery to remove that pretty quickly because I was at risk of having seizures because I didn't have any symptoms. I hadn't had any seizures, I didn't have any headaches um, and nothing else that was really uh, noticeable. But after that surgery, after the tumour was removed, and nobody can really say whether it was the surgery or, or not, or whether it was just coincidental, but I've, I've got quite a few medical issues now that are, it's, I'm trying to say that it's things that are difficult to live with and they have to be managed on a daily basis. The list of Olivia's ongoing issues are, frankly, pretty overwhelming. Olivia started by mentioning the things that affect her at that sort of bodily level. I have uh, chronic pain everywhere. My skin hurts, my joints, my bones ache, uh, my ligaments, muscles, everything just hurts basically all the time. It's like a, like a humming pain that's always there. I have chronic fatigue as well, which means that I just feel really tired all the time and feel like I'm not functioning properly. My thermostat is broken, so I'm always hot, burning up hot. Sensory intolerance, so I'm very sensitive to loud noises. Um, I haven't been to a shopping centre for many years. Um, just with all the, the, the lights, the music, the kids, the people, 
It's just too, too much noise. R restaurants, cafes, I don't do that sort of thing anymore. So light can bother me and make me feel quite tired and actually cause some distress. Smells as well, like very intolerant to strong smells. And then there were the cognitive defects that set in after her brain tumour was removed. Olivia reiterated that the doctors didn't know what caused the problems, but nevertheless, they arose. She contrasted her life before and after the surgery. I was quite high up in the public service and I managed very large budgets and um, had a lot of authority in my position. I loved my work. I had a big team of staff. I had lots of friends and contacts and associates and I had a really good reputation at work and I loved it. I, I, lo I worked really long hours and that was fine because I enjoyed it so much. There was just a sense of achievement. And after the surgery, I was neuropsychologically tested and was found that the best position for me would be at an APS1 level in the mailroom. So basically putting square pegs into square holes. That is true. I was put through quite a few return to work um, Programs, maybe? Yeah, yeah. So return to work programs to get me back into the workplace. And that was about the level that I could achieve. I was working in a mailroom somewhere. And even doing that, I had to constantly look to where I'd written down today's date. I had to put stickers on everything with little notes to tell me where it was at, because if I came back to it, I would have no idea what I had just done. After the brain tumour, uh, my life was completely opposite. So I was spending very long amounts of time on my own, isolated because of my sensory intolerance and I, and I wasn't coping. So the best way to cope with that was to be on my own with no noise, um, with no bright lights, with no um, any outside triggers or anything that just made it really difficult for me to function and to cope. I find it quite amazing how far you've come since then. I mean, obviously I didn't know you five, four years ago, but, you know, talking to you, I would have never guessed that this had happened to you. I'm really good at talking to things that I've had lots of practice at talking to. So with my psychologist and we're talking constantly about the before and afters and how to cope, those sorts of things come back to me quite easily because we're working on them constantly and consistently. So I'm, a, I'm using that language and I'm able to retain it. I might say something using words that are completely wrong and I have no idea that I'm doing that. And people who know me, they know what I've just done and what I've just said and they can somehow work out what I'm actually trying to say. So that that's pretty interesting. Um, and because I don't put myself in, in any sort of social settings, I find those situations really difficult and that's when I find it difficult to have a conversation with somebody because I just don't know what to talk to someone about and I don't have all this memory and recall and stories and they just don't come to me very quickly. I probably was the talker before the brain tumour, but after it, I'm, I'm now more the listener. It's much easier for me just to listen and enjoy someone's company and conversation. So what does your day-to-day -day life look like these days? So these days it's still very isolated. I have minimal social contact. Uh, I talk to my kids um, either text or on the phone daily because we're very close and so that's good. They, they're easy for me to get along with because they know what I'm about to say or do or, and it's, it's pretty defined and we're all comfortable within that space. But 
I do uh, an early morning job which just keeps me active and I enjoy doing it and I'm home quite early in the mornings and then the rest of the day I'm pretty much on my own, in my own space, uh, trying to limit any outside influences. I might spend a bit of time on the computer, I might look at TED Talks or watch TV, um, which is quite settling for me because it um, gives me just one thing to focus on. And I like to stay home because I can control the environment. So because I'm hot all the time, I can keep it cool. And just, it's the, it's the best place for me to be is at home on my own so that I can manage the conditions that I have. And what happened to all the friends that you used to have and, you know, just those relationships? So I was never really big with, I didn't have big groups of friends and lots of people. My interactions and connections were through work. And so when you're not in that environment anymore and you don't have the same experiences on a day-to-day -day basis and your conversation, I can't have that conversation about work because I'm not in that environment. Um, it's just a natural progression for um, those relationships to just drift apart and that was not anybody's fault and that's just how it was. I've got a, a girlfriend who's really close um, but I only see her every couple of months but I know she's there if I need her and of course I've got my kids um, that I don't see on a daily basis but definitely um, talk to them or text them or contact them daily and I've got a really good support network in my psychologist uh, and in my GP who I see very regularly as well. And, and that's probably about all that I can actually cope with. Any more than that becomes overwhelming for me. So being isolated is, is really the best option for me because at least I can have some peace and, and uh, feel as though at least I'm managing. I guess um, it has been quite a few years since the operation now, but I mean, there was more time before then, like you've lived more of your life not hindered by some of the things that you've mentioned. Does your day-to-day -day life now kind of feel normal? Does this feel to you like, you know, like, I guess, have you adjusted to it completely? I would say yes, because I have realised that I can't go back to the person that I was. That will never happen again. I also think I'm really lucky because I've got two amazing children who just look after me and give me anything I need and and they're there for me. And really, that you can't really ask for much more than, than that. Just to have two members of your family being able to give you that support is, is just incredible. Olivia's life has proceeded much in this fashion for the past four to five years. The tone in which she described it, I think, might not properly indicate how socially isolated she's been. But from my understanding, her social network, to put it loosely, has been extremely small. Let's review. Her two kids, her psychologist and GP, and her close girlfriend. She did mention her morning job, but she actually performs that alone. The pressures of all this came to a head late last year, and Olivia decided to do something about it. I was overwhelmed with loneliness. It was, it was crippling. This feeling that came over me like an like a longing, like, a, like something was terribly missing in my life, something was terribly wrong. But I didn't know what it was. The only thing I could think of is that it's, that it's loneliness, even though I don't particularly feel lonely, but I don't have those connections with, with lots of different people or to give me uh, a distraction from my medical conditions or symptoms. And as much as my kids... Um, 
will do anything for me. They still have individual lives, and I and I'm I can't be a part of their everyday lives. I so there was just this emptiness, um, and not having anyone to to connect with on a on a level that's different to having a medical problem. So my connections with my kids are all about my health and that gets really boring after a while. Um, and I wasn't in the workplace so I didn't have those relationships and I hadn't um, had a partner for um, six years so even even before the um, brain tumour surgery, I was uh, single. And I'd been divorced for 15 years. Um, and it, it wasn't, I, you know, I had, a, I had a really good girlfriend who, who was great if we wanted to go out and have a coffee or something like that, which, which isn't something that we did anymore. So they, I just didn't have any avenues that I felt as though I could cope with an environment that would give me connections to people that I would actually be able to do. So what did you do to kind of try to address those feelings? I actually spent a bit of time looking on the internet trying to work out how to get a connection with someone, how to... Uh, get a friend or I, and I didn't even know what I wanted I didn't even know what I was looking for and and I actually hadn't even spoken to my psychologist about it because it hadn't come up in any of the sessions and it was just this strange sort of thing that was happening to me and I, I don't think I could even explain it to anybody about how I felt and then one day I ended up on a website for male escorts and I thought that's a really interesting concept. Because I thought that the feelings that I was having wasn't just needing a friend, it felt as though I was missing intimacy and a personal connection with another human being and particularly a man um, who could provide intimacy and connection for me. And I thought that that was very interesting because there's just no way that I can cope with a relationship of, at any level. I, I don't have, I really don't have anything to give to someone. There's just, outside of looking after myself, there's really not a lot left over. And that would just completely overwhelm me and it would never work. And I've worked out that my capacity for um, an emotional connection, a physical connection, an, an intimate connection with someone, I, th I think my capacity is really only about two to three hours a week and once a week because for that time I, I want to... I want to dress nicely, which is not something I normally do. I want to feel um, attractive and, and do my hair and put makeup on and um, I want to be good company for somebody as well. And so to do all that, it actually takes a huge amount of work for me and, and to bring my A-game to that sort of environment as well is just so tiring and, and exhausting. So then I started to think, okay, th this is probably what I need because n there's no normal relationship that you can have with a, a man for two to three hours a week. It, it just doesn't work that way. But all of a sudden I've thought, well, actually that's how it works with a male escort. They, they turn up. Um, they're there for you. They're great company. They've got lots of stories to tell. They're attractive, <laughs> which helps. Um, and they're there to make sure that your needs are fulfilled, which is exactly what I need because I don't have the capacity to fulfill someone else's needs. So I, I read a lot 
Um, I read a lot of web pages and information from male escorts. And I did that for quite some time. The, the thing that was stopping me, well, there was, actually there was a couple of things stopping me. One was the thought of paying for intimacy. That's bizarre. I mean, nobody should have to pay for intimacy. And the other thing was because, um, because of my body shape and size, um, I've got multiple surgery scars, I've, I'm overweight, you know, just average looks. So it was really difficult for me to present myself to a total stranger and be intimate with someone, having all that sitting in the back of my mind in terms of my own self-esteem and self-confidence. Olivia's desire for connection and intimacy overcame her feelings about her looks and her body, and ultimately, she went for it. She found someone on the now-defunct Backpage.com, began exchanging emails with him, and when she felt comfortable enough, arranged a day for him to come see her. Unfortunately, things didn't go quite as she hoped, though they could have gone much worse. He turned up at the door, and I did a really stupid thing. I should have looked out through the security door and looked at seen who was standing at the security door and I didn't. I just buzzed him in. And when I opened my own front door, there was a fellow standing there. So the photo that I was sent was of a tall, well-built, blonde guy in his 30s. When I opened the door, there was a guy in his 40s who was quite short. He had very long grey hair pulled back into a ponytail. He had yellow teeth and very dark skin. And he didn't look anything like the person that I was supposed to be meeting. I didn't actually let him in the door and I said, I'm, I said, I'm sorry, but you don't look anything like the photo that I was sent. And he said, oh, he, oh he's, he's busy, he's booked out, um, but I can help you. And I said, no, I'm sorry, this is not what I had arranged. Um, and this is not what I want. And I closed the door. So then I got a phone call within minutes from the original guy that I had spoken to who sent me his photo that I thought he was turning up. And this fellow tried to say to me, and in fact, I think it was the same man standing at the door that, um, oh, everyone else was booked out, but this guy's really good and you should try him out and he's great and if that's what you want, you know, he's the man for you. And I said, how can that be the man for me? You described someone that I would have liked to have seen, but that's not who turned up. Anyway, I said, look, I'm sorry, I'm not interested um, and that's not what I want and basically just ended the conversation. So luckily for me, he, he never rang my number again. Nobody ever turned up at the door again. So I didn't get any issues after that. But it did frighten me. And I did think how stupid I was. And how easy it is to... Because that could have ended up... That could have ended really badly. That encounter put Olivia off from trying again for a while anyway. When she resumed her search, she managed to find someone else who seemed right. More than right. With this new male escort, she liked what he'd written on his website. She connected with him over numerous emails. She really liked how he looked. He just ticked all the boxes. And then came the moment of reckoning. Can you take me back to that first time that you met him in person? I was incredibly nervous and I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure I had a red flush on my skin because I was just so nervous. I opened the door uh, and just thought, yeah, wow, okay, he's really gorgeous. <laughs> so that was good, but so it should be because he should look like his photos. And he was so down to earth and just so relaxed. 
I couldn't help but feel relaxed. And he's obviously very good at what he does and he's very good at connecting with someone and particularly probably women, making them feel comfortable and relaxed because if he can't do that, then then they're not going to get to the next step of what of what the client is looking for. So there's 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 some skill there that he has as well that not men in general have because this is a this is a specialized skill. And I was actually aware of how good he was of it, and I was really aware of the things that he was saying and doing to to calm me down and to make me feel relaxed and make me feel there was no judgment, completely no judgment. He was so respectful. He always looked in the right place, which was usually my eyes, which was which is really where you where you really want anyone to look when you're feeling self-conscious. You don't want them looking anywhere else. So he was very aware of that as well. And it was just comfortable and it was almost easy, apart from the fact that I felt really nervous. Um, it was actually really easy. Mm. In a way, I can understand why you would have been so nervous meeting him. In another way, it's like you kind of have the power there because you're the, I guess, you know, paying customer, I suppose. If you don't like him, then you can decide to not have him come here again. I guess I'm wondering why it is that being the person paying him, you didn't feel more empowered and why you were still kind of concerned about him, you know, judging you, I guess. I didn't feel empowered because I think I was just, and I don't want to use the word desperate, but I I desperately wanted it to work. I desperately wanted it to be a good experience. And if it hadn't been, well, okay, that's life. Um, you've done it. You've tried it. Male escorts isn't the way to go. They don't have the right uh, attitude or... Um, they, they're not able to make that instant connection or to make me feel as though I've, I've fulfilled something that I was needing. I don't think you can f feel empowered in that situation because, yes, I can say, oh, thanks very much, this isn't working, um, I don't find you attractive or I'm not feeling any connection with you. And, and as, as their sites all say that if that happens, they, let, they just go, there's no issue, That's, that sometimes happens. But in this case, it just, it just worked from the very first second that he walked in the door. And there was just something so familiar to, to what, I, what I knew that I, I didn't know I needed it. I didn't know that's what I was missing until I had it, until I was able to connect with that person on so many different levels, to know that that's what I was missing. It, it wasn't. It's not. It, it's not a sexual thing. It's not just a hookup. That's that's not what it was. It's not just him being a companion and keeping me company because I'm lonely. It, it wasn't that. It, it's honestly, it's the best relationship I've ever had in my life. It's probably the relationship that I always wanted to find but never did. So the connection that you formed with this person was a kind of connection that you'd never formed with anybody else, not even your ex-husband or anyone else that you'd previously had a relationship with? I have never had that connection with any other person ever, which is really... I, I do struggle with it and I have to put it in a little box in the back of my mind because I don't quite know what to do with that apart from the fact that it's a once a week thing it's not a relationship I'm paying for intimacy and yet this person I am connecting with completely from his point of view I'm a job <laughs> I'm I'm just work for him and clearly he's very good at what he does but for him to be able to connect with so many different levels with me, 
that's probably the bit that I'm struggling with because how come I've never had that in any other time of my life, even with my husband or even with um, other partners um, that I've had previously? Why, why have I never had such a strong connection with anybody and yet I have one now with a male escort who I really don't have any connection with because I pay him to be with me and I'm very happy and very comfortable with the fact that it's, that it's not long term and that at some point it will come to an end and I'm not saying that won't hurt because it'll be like losing a best friend or, you know, like a really special connection with someone. And that's going to happen. But I'd rather, I'd rather that happen, have all of this experience and have this amazing connection with someone that I know is not going to last. I'd rather have that than not. So... How I came to find you is through a post that you put up on Craigslist and it wasn't your first post um, and I believe you've put one up since. Do you have your laptop nearby by any chance? Could we sort of have a look at some of them? Following on from what Olivia was saying a moment ago, she acknowledges that what she has going on with her male escort isn't a long-term thing. It's his job. He could get sick of it, want to get into another industry, get a girlfriend who doesn't like him sleeping with other people. For those reasons and more besides, Olivia started posting ads on places like Lacanto and Craigslist. She read out her first post on Craigslist for me from early March. So I said, Toy Boy Wanted, can you fulfil my fantasy? Looking for easygoing, tall, good-looking guy, aged between 25 and 35. A regular companion, regular reward. I'm not beautiful, but you need to be. This is my fantasy. I'm genuine and generous. Please send a photo. So that was my first attempt at trying to replace my male escort. And that just failed miserably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess... Um I guess for the average person out there, they're probably thinking, okay, so if I give of myself and if I'm bringing particular qualities or assets to something, what am I going to get back? Exactly. And, and so my first ad or post is saying that there's a reward. So I'm, I'm offering to pay someone to be the person that I need them to be for that period of time. Okay, so this was your first ad and what happened here? I see that it says at the top this posting has been flagged for removal. All of my posts, except for the latest one, so there's five or six of them, they were all flagged and removed. So anytime you talk about exchange of money or... Um, actually, I think that's the biggest one. I, I really... I've tried to understand why they get flagged and from what I've read is that the way that Craigslist works, it basically flags and removes everything and there's a bit of a technique that you can repost every day, you can repost with slightly different wording you can, and you can get around that. But I found that I usually got about two days out of it um, before it was flagged and removed and in that time I would have had hundreds of responses every time, so two to three hundred with every post. And since doing this and having all of the responses and posting so many ads, I still haven't actually met anyone real. So your next one was the following day. Okay. Um, so that one looks pretty similar to your earlier post. So how about if we... Yeah, I was, I was just trying to get it um, reposted so that it was saying something slightly different, but they flagged it and removed it anyway. So the ad was, or the post was called Friend with Benefits Wanted, and then the next one reads Active Kindness? Yeah, so this is where I've gone for a, a different approach to see who might respond. 
And this one says, uh, I need a good human with a kind soul to light up my Sundays. My movement is limited and my lifestyle is isolating. I want intimacy and connection on a regular basis, but not a relationship. Looking for a man aged 25 to 35 and taller than me, uh, message me if you have any questions. I find it really strange that this was flagged for a removal. I, I can't understand it. I've tried to research it. I've tried to work out how. Um, I think it's just the way that Craigslist works. So what sorts of responses have you received to these and did you get a different kind of response with that particular post? I did, actually. Um, I, f I found that with all of my different types of posting and approaches, there was a different audience responding what I found was really interesting is, and quite nice, is that some of the emails I got or responses and it replies were people just saying, good on you for looking for what you want and hope you find it, best of luck. And that, that made me feel good. But then there's so many other experiences that I had with Craigslist that were not good and they didn't make me feel better at all. Um, I have found that um, there's a consistent, there's a type of response that seems to be consistent and I don't know who these people are and I don't know if they're even real, but they will pretend to be exactly what you want in an email, they will send you photos, they will ask all the right questions and you'll email backwards and forwards for several days and then all of a sudden they just stop emailing and then there's nothing. And I can't explain it and it's quite bizarre and I can't pick which of the replies that's going to apply to. But it's just a, it's, it's a type of response that I've had that I find unusual. Um, and I, had, I do always ask for an attractive guy because th this is my need. This is what I want. It's not about the person replying. And I've had quite a few replies from, from guys who think that they fit the bill for being attractive. And I really don't know if these are their photos or someone else's photos, but these guys, and I'm really sorry, but they just don't fit into the category of attractive. And so I just don't, I don't take those replies any further. I just don't respond. But most of those guys will come back to me and actually start calling me names and being really mean and nasty online because I haven't responded to them after they've sent me a photo and obviously I've not had a connection with their photo and they've taken it really personally. And I struggled with how to respond or how to deal with that in the easiest thing is that I don't even know if these people are real anyway and it's all online and they don't know me and I don't know them. Have any of the people who've replied to your posts asked for your photo? I actually uh, more often than not send my photo to them. I do that so that they know that I'm genuine and that I'm actually real but it's a photograph that does look like me but not anymore because I don't dress well every day so um, I don't put makeup on I don't do my hair and I don't do any of that so they wouldn't recognize me anyway but the photo that I send them is the person that I am and that I want to be and that I would be when I'm with someone it's that person then we came to the post I first saw titled ugly female seeking handsome male after a few giggles Olivia read that one out too Ugly female seeking handsome male. Uh, ugly female looking for long-term friendship and connection with good-looking man. Help me make a dream come true. Kisses and cuddles only one or two times a week I can host. I'm in my late 40s, once male, 20s to 30s. Must not care about my body shape or size. So part of what grabbed me about this post is just kind of how, I guess, blunt <laughs> it is. I mean, how did you feel describing yourself as an ugly female? Because I am an ugly female. I have very average looks. 
and apart from when I would like to be attractive and present myself really well and I'm dressing up and making an attempt and an effort to be the person I want to be, the rest of the time I, I am ugly. I, I don't do my hair, I don't do my makeup, I don't make any effort, I don't... It's, it's just really... That's just the situation that I find myself in. But on the other side of, the, of where this is coming from is that every single reply says something along the lines of, do you have pics? You send me a pic, I'll send you a pic. So all of the replies are only interested in what you look like. And so I'm just going to put it out there. Don't, don't bother thinking that I'm attractive and that I'm some hot 40-year-old just looking for sex or fun. That's not what this is. So I'm just trying to be really blunt and I was trying to get some response from some genuine people who might be reading Craig's list and who might understand that I'm looking for more than sex, that it's, it's a connection, it's an intimacy, it's a... But it didn't work anyway. <laughs> But in terms of that word ugly, though, I mean, is that just how you feel or have you had other people make you feel that way? I've had people make me feel that way my entire life and I don't feel particularly attractive and especially given that I'm not in a relationship with anybody because if when you are in a relationship there is a level of attraction there has to be. So clearly I'm not in any relationship, so obviously nobody finds me attractive. You've been in relationships in the past though. I mean, doesn't that say something doesn't that say something different to um how you feel at the moment? No, not at all. In fact, it makes it, it just reinforces the fact that I that I am not attractive. Um my my husband when I met him, I had never had a boyfriend, so he was my first sexual partner. He had no issue whatsoever with my size, which was morbidly obese. And for the first time in my life, I had a man uh, interested in having sex with me, regardless of my size. But it actually made the situation, it's actually worse when someone doesn't care about the way you look and doesn't respect you enough to say, do something, you can't live your life like that, it's not healthy for you and there's no sense of, of respect or help or can't think of the right words. So that was a very unusual relationship and not what I would call a marriage and I don't, I mean I married him because no, I didn't have anybody else, nobody else ever, I didn't have any other dates, nobody else wanted to be with me or sleep with me, uh, so I married this first guy that wanted to, um, ended up having children, ended up realising that there is no connection, that we just have nothing in common and that there's no love. Um, so the best thing that he could have done for me was to leave the marriage. And then since then, um, where I thought maybe somebody did find me attractive, I think after a while I realised that's not that they were with me, that's not why they were with me, for, for various other reasons. I remember one guy just um, thought of me as a, as a mother figure. And so it took me a while to realise again, no connection. So when I checked Craigslist again, um, probably about a week ago, I think, I saw another post that seemed to have been from you. <laughs> are you getting used to my style, are you? <laughs> so this one, I've actually had some really good responses to. This is a last ad I saw of Olivia's before Craigslist shut down its personal section. It has a cute picture embedded in it of two small squirrel-looking animals that are standing upright. 
One of them has its arms around the other. The ad reads, Wanted, male for disabled mature female. Male companion must be 25 to 40 years old, taller than 180 centimeters, intelligent and with a sense of humor, energetic and playful. Must be very confident at connecting with women and be great company. Must be non-smoker and disease free. Weekly visits required. Female is 49 years old, intelligent and well presented. Average looks, moderately overweight, size 20. Limited movement of joints due to pain, sensory intolerance to light and noise, minor memory and cognitive defects, multiple surgery scars on abdomen and legs. Otherwise in good working order, smiley face. Please be prepared to provide a photo, discretion assured, genuine ad, too weird to be a scam. And so you've had some good responses to this one. I thought I had some good responses to this one and I had different different people responding and a different tone to the response. And I thought, okay, this one might actually be working and maybe what I should have said in the first place. And yet I've just taken this post down um, because after several days, and it, it was actually never um, flagged. It, it was, was never, never flagged. This one was never flagged. Uh, and so I had quite a few days of hundreds and hundreds of responses, but it still hasn't delivered the right the right person, the right the person that gets what I'm looking for. I don't know whether what I'm looking for is just so un unreal of an expectation that it's just not out there. So I've just taken it down, and I'm I'm actually um, I'm now at the point where. I'm just going to stick to my male escort, no matter how confusing that is for me to process. It's easy. It works for me. He's still available and turning up. Money doesn't even matter because I, f I feel connected to a human being and I would pay anything for that. You've been listening to Love, Canberra. I'll be gone for six weeks instead of three, but when I come back, I'll have something very special for you. To fill the time, why not have a look at some of my blog posts? This year, I felt that I should share a bit about myself, given the stories people have been sharing with me. The theme music is by Proletur. Details for the interstitial music are in the show notes. Also on the show notes, on the podcast website, are Olivia's last two posts on Craigslist. Drop me a line at lovecamberapodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at lovecbrpodcast. I'm Ivana Ho. Thanks for listening.